This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Get ready to dial into the exciting world of call centers with First Contact, stories of the call center podcast. Join us as we share stories from industry leaders, explore the latest trends and technologies, and tackle the challenges and triumphs of the contact center landscape. Fasten your seatbelt for a high-energy journey brought to you by Nobel Biz, the one-stop shop for all your call center needs, both in software and service. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Contact Center. Now, look, we're excited about today's guest. Micah Peterson is a knowledge management enthusiast with over 15 years of experience in transforming how companies handle their knowledge. Now, look, with a proven record in helping organizations revolutionize their knowledge management strategies, Micah has really become a trusted authority in the industry. Now, with his contributions, they've extended beyond just expertise, but also developing patented software that empowers businesses to build and maintain robust knowledge base. So, Micah, welcome to the show. Excited to have you here. Thanks, Christian. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, look, uh, for those who know the way that we do this podcast, we always want to know what got you into the industry? What got you into contact center industry from wherever you were? So give us some background of what your journey was and how you got into this space in the first place. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of an interesting story. And it's it's uh, a question that I often ask when we do webinars and stuff, because I'm always fascinated by, you know, I don't think anybody sort of intends to go into, say, contact center work. Uh, but once they get there, they kind of stick with it, right? And they make a big career out of it. And so I thought that that was an interesting premise uh, for a podcast. So that was fascinating to me um, being here with you. So my story is I took computer science uh, in university. And then my first job coming out of that was to work at a software company. But I had to start at the bottom. So I started in tech support. And I did a few years with their tech support team. And so I, there's two stories that kind of formed me and kind of led me into the contact center industry that I thought were interesting and in how procedure flow came to be. The first one was, uh, I did all this training, right? So I, I was supporting this software product. And once I got done all the weeks of classroom training and testing and everything, they threw me onto the phone. My first call I got, I answered the phone and I was like, Hey, like Michael Peterson, why the hell I can help you? And the, the person, I couldn't answer their problem. So I said, let me put it on hold for a second. So I went beat red and then I looked around and I, I couldn't find, everybody else was on the phone. So now I was really stuck. And, it, and so that deer in the headlights, I thought I knew, I took the training, but then when the rubber hit the road, I really didn't know what I was doing. So that was a formative experience for me, uh, just the embarrassment of not being able to help a customer, even though I had a lot of training. The second interesting story, which led me into the knowledge sharing, knowledge management space was we had this small team of four people. I was working on this issue with a customer and it took me about three weeks to solve it. I got the end of the three weeks and I'd been working really hard on, you know, narrowing down the problem and I finally solved it. So I was really excited. I got up from my cubicle and I go to my neighbor who's behind this sort of like, you know, cubicle wall. I said, Hey man, I solved this crazy issue. I start, he's like, Oh yeah, what was it? And I tell him and he goes, Oh yeah, I solved that a couple months ago. You should have just asked me. <laughs> and I was like, damn it. Like I could have solved that in like 10 minutes. And so um, in that sense, I had this, like, why don't we have a knowledge base? And I asked around and we, there had been three attempts at creating a knowledge base. They had all failed. And I was, I was fascinated with why do knowledge-based projects start up and fail and start up and fail? 
And that launched me into my own startup where I tried to solve some of those problems, which led me into an R&D group at a BPO. Um, and when I was there, I discovered the real challenges of, of knowledge sharing, which is around search, uh, like how do you find the information that you're looking for and, uh, and the consumability of knowledge. So that's, that's how I got into the contact center industry. Uh, and those are some formative um, stories in, in my interest level in this. Well, it's great to see that there was a problem and then you tried to solve that problem and you realized that it wasn't a light switch where you just went, oh, I can go solve the problem overnight. And it was super simple. There was this dynamic that there wasn't a lack of information. It was how do you get that information in a timely way, in a way that is allowed to be digestible for someone to then action on uh, when it matters. And I think that's really applicable to a lot of things when we talk about information, not just your knowledge bases, but I think across the board, businesses in general uh, don't always have the perfect way to take all the right data at the right time to make those decisions. So let's talk a little bit about procedure flow. So you kind of ended your story with that's really where you're at today. So what is procedure flow? What are you specifically solving? And talk a little bit about what's different about procedure flow versus Every other solution in the market, and we all know in a mature market, like in the contact center space, there's a lot of people that have already said, yeah, we do this type of thing already. Yeah, it's hard to invent something new in the call center space. I just go back from CCW and there's 300 vendor booths and you know everybody does something and uh, everything's measured in the contact center. So the, the challenge is interesting. The, there's an intuitive way to take somebody from zero to hero or street to seat. There's lots of ways to say that, but essentially how quickly can you take, like say a high school student and put them into a contact center and have them successfully taking calls with very good average channel time, very good quality and very good customer satisfaction. That is the challenge to solve, right? Because we know, you and I both know that, and the, and the, the audience knows, you're not going to have them for a long time. People don't, they, they, they conquer the challenge of contact center quite quickly. They want to either be promoted, they're saving up for college, or they're, you're going to manage them out because they're not good at it. And so you're, you have this very short window of time with them. How do you get them to be an expert quickly? And so the traditional way of doing it is you put them in the classroom, you have weeks of training, you have a few weeks of nesting, you throw them on the phone, and then you struggle through a few months of calls because you've got to take 100, 200 different kinds of calls, variations, and exceptions in order to become a subject matter expert. You know, a subject matter expert is somebody who has made all the mistakes in a given field. And the unfortunate part about contact centers, they're making the mistakes on the phone with your customer. And so intuitively, we put them in a classroom, hope they memorize stuff, and then they're, we, but we know that they're not successful. And that problem has not been solved up until now. And, um, and it's only now that there's really starting to be some rumblings of, you know, a little bit of a revolution around classroom training and the pandemic, obviously, you know, we may talk about that later, but the pandemic sent everybody home. Everybody had to figure out training and onboarding very quickly and, and all, everything was exposed. Right. And so procedure flow, what we do is we take the information that was usually wall of text or it was PowerPoints or it was a bunch of written materials. We turn it into a visualization of the material, the information, so that it's very consumable. And it's actually consumable to the point where you can do it in real time while you're on the phone with the customer. Therefore, you don't have to sit in the classroom. You can actually guide yourself through scenarios and exceptions 
while you're talking to the customer without putting them on hold, without transferring them and all the problems that happen. So we've turned them into a subject matter expert very, very, very quickly. And so that product is there to support them through their career uh, in, in being a phone agent. And, uh, and then the next one comes in and we help that person. So if, does that make sense? Yeah. So I think let's kind of peel the onion back a little bit more, right? For those that say, okay, so we have content, right? And you talk about PowerPoints and text and information and things of that nature. Walk me through someone saying, I have this problem. Now what, right? I'm now going through the journey of getting it fixed. What is the time and effort on both sides for someone to actually start going to first time seeing value from saying, I have this problem and now I've agreed to work with you. Is this something that takes weeks, months, is this days? What, what does that journey look like and how do you start seeing that translation? Yeah, so it's a great question. I would say it's very short and I'm compare, it's, it's a comparative thing, right? So if we're saying we're going to buy a new telephony solution or a new CRM, it's like an 18-month, 24-month journey to get everything transferred over, train everybody up. So comparatively to these big implementations in the contact center space, we're talking about, you know, a couple of weeks of consultation on there's a change management element, right? Because it affects the trainers and the quality assurance and the team leads. And like there's, there's multiple departments that depend on knowledge management. They've been doing it the same way for a long time. So we're, we're having to change the model. So we have to do some change management. So we want that to be successful. So it's probably going to be, you know, more than a month to get all the right parties in play, train the trainers, help everybody understand. In terms of getting content in, we're selling with Procedure Flow an empty knowledge management system. That is you know, usually the case with knowledge management. And so you're going to sit down with some SMEs and interview them, and that process is going to take a couple of weeks. What we, what's really important in that and why we can get the time quite short to impact is that usually people have documented too much. They have a lot of information. There's duplication. Um, there's stuff that you don't need uh, and it's overkill or it's seasonal or something. And so what you can do is you can say 80-20 rule. What 20% of the processes can we map that will have 80% of the impact? Let's make a list, you know, a short list of 10, 20 processes that matter. And then with the SME, map those out very, very quickly. So you're going to roll it out in a training classroom or with existing agents. You're going to get the impact within a month, two months. And then you're going through sort of a three-month process of just helping the organization adopt change. And then you're off to the races. Over seasonality, like you may have four different seasons for types of calls coming in. You may decide to map some stuff you know, down the road um, to, to fill in the gaps. But other than that, you're, you're pretty good you know, right at the beginning. So is this really a set it and forget it? Or what best practices does a business have to do, whether it's your product or otherwise, to really effectively continuously have a living, breathing version of how they manage data and what 80, 20, what percentage they need to really focus on versus over-documenting and not using it all. Is there any best practices that companies should be using when they look at that from the perspective of, I did this implementation, I'm great, I'm, I'm done? Or is there something that really has to happen on an ongoing basis for this to be relevant going forward? You raise an interesting point because there was a second, you talked about the differentiation of procedure flow against other things in the market. So the first and most important thing is creating visual, logical paths at a bird's eye view for people to follow. That solves 50% of the problem. Now people can actually read and use your knowledge management system. The second half of it, anybody who's been around knowledge management for 12 months or more knows 
the whole thing falls down on maintenance. It falls down on can you keep the information up to date? Because really, if you think about customer service in the structure of an organization, it's like the, it's kind of, I hate to say it like this, but it's kind of like, it's like a, a dumpster fire, you know, of, of sorts where there's process changes and marketing changes and product changes and government regulations and all this stuff is happening throughout the business all the time. That ekes out and hits the customers and then they call in where? They call into customer support, right? And so customer support is having to, to, to figure out all the changes going on in the business. And that, that updating of processes all the time, that volatility means that the knowledge management, if it's not kept up to date, is going to suffer. And in a three-year cycle, you're going to have information that's out of date, duplicated, et cetera. And it's going to recreate all the challenges that you've been trying to solve. And so procedure flow created um, collaboration version control is a term or distributed revision control. We adopted a model that allows the agents, the team leads, the trainers, the quality assurance, the directors, the managers, everybody involved in touching that. They can pull a draft to themselves say what they think should be fixed or updated. There's a broken link, a typo, whatever it is. Submit that up for approval. Get an approval person to, to review it as a side-by-side -side comparison marked up and then check that off. And so we've, we've actually, like our customers love that feature because it creates ownership. The whole team's involved. You have a single source of truth. There's no locking. And we've, we've been able essentially, essentially to crowdsource the maintenance of the knowledge system, this visualized knowledge system. Uh, and so if you come in 16 months from now as a new agent and you're in a training classroom, your material is what they're using live on the floor, which normally the training material is, you know, falling behind the, the reality of what's happening on the floor. So it's a, it's a really nice system. Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz Omni Plus the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz Omni Plus at www.nobelbiz.com. So it sounds like from a content perspective, right, it's, I'm not going to say an empty box, but it's all catered to that in particular customer. Is there something I'm missing there around if you, run into enough customers, right? There's enough information that may be repurposed or being able to leverage as best practices or things that are already templated or is everything a white slate where it's all catered directly to that customer's entire journey of what they have for their information, their knowledge base and how they want to use it? Yeah, we, we service um, in a primary sense, we service the four major um, human life industries. <laughs> like if you want to exist as a human, what do you need? You need health, 
you need electricity, you need a telephone, uh, you need a bank, right? And so those four industries have some repeatability to them in terms of they're either using the same systems or they execute on similar processes like for utilities, it's move in, move out processes or, you know, what have you, right? And so there are, there's some base set that you can template and go, but it, you know, you'd be surprised even with two very common brother sister organizations, the number of little systems they use on the back end. Uh, an agent could be using anywhere from five to 40 different systems to handle one type of call. Uh, I've seen the 40 one. <laughs> it's pretty fascinating. Um, so there, there's always this attempt to consolidate, but at the end of the day, there's all these systems that they have to use. And so that's going to create the, the customization. Uh, and the variability between customers that just, there are no two customers that are identical. So this is very human centric, right? And so today, right, we're in that um, point in inflection of saying AI technology, really being able to potentially replace where you may not need a person anymore. And then you have these higher level interactions where you still need that human touch, that human connection. And one of the pieces that's really important, there's not just the information, how to say it, when to say it, but to know that you should say it, there's a timing element, right? So it's not just being trained and having a visual. There has to be some connection towards in that moment, if they don't know they should be saying that or they forgot, right? In that moment, in that interaction, there are things and tools on the marketplace today that say, hey, I can help you right now in that moment, you know, next best step. And other types of things like real-time guidance and so on and so forth. So where does procedure flow work either in parallel, uh, in replacement of, or whatever towards the dynamic of where things are going today of how does the, let's stick with the human interaction side, where do you create that moment where procedure flow allows in that call, in that scenario to have the best opportunity to be successful? Yeah, 100%. So there's two things I want to talk about there. The first is I would like to debunk a myth, right? Which is I heard Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, when ChatGPT came out, he was on a podcast with Lex Friedman. And, and they, Lex Friedman asked him, he said, what's the first human industry that's going to be the most impacted by ChatGPT or whatever? And Sam Altman thinks about it for a second. He goes, customer service, call centers. And I laughed, like I was in my car listening and I just laughed. Like I was like, are you kidding me? You know, like my day in day job is to document knowledge management for contact centers. And I talked about process volatility in terms of how nothing's pinned down, nothing's locked down. A lot of the times there's six different ways to do something and a single process hasn't even been decided on internally in or, as an organization. And so you have all this complexity, you have all this stuff going on. And so like the reality of that is you have to say, there's a percentage of very simple things that an organization should have as self-service through an app or a chatbot or a voice bot or what have you. You go off and you do those things. You absolutely should, right? And then there's a bunch of complex stuff. There's things where customers have been wronged and they need apologies and they need refunds. They need the rules bent for them. Or, you know, like you have to repair a relationship because something went off the rails or you know, you name it, right? They're calling in for three different things or very complex things, or they were, you know, they misunderstood something or the marketing wasn't correct or whatever. And so all of that type of work that's emotionally charged sometimes is quite urgent. Um, 
that stuff's going to be handled by a human. And so what you want to do, that's the first thing is just to say, you know, I'm sorry, Sam Altman, but it's not, it's not going to work quite like that just yet. Um, the, the second thing to say is you want to chunk it into three buckets, right? The first is what can we self-serve? We talked about a little bit. Second is agent assist. And so it's what can the AI do to assist the human that's doing the work? I'll talk about, come back to that in a second. And the third is what kind of like little utilities and doodads can I build that will help the human say after the call? So like summarizing the notes, like listen to the audio, kind of look at what's happening on the screen, summarize the notes. That's awesome. Human doesn't want to do that, right? Um, or go back and read the history of this customer and give me a four bullet point summary of everything they've done with the, the company so that I'm aware of that without having to spend 20 minutes reading everything. Or generate an email for me uh, on, based on everything that happened and I'll double check it and we may send that off if it's good or I may modify it, right? So kind of do things for me, I'll double check it and, and that's really helpful and saves me a lot of time. So in those two, the front bucket and the back bucket, we're really not trying to play in that space. What we're saying is there's a large percentage of calls that are being handled by a human. They need a lot of help. We're doing agent assist help with them. And so the, the, at, at the crux of this, you have this, you, you mentioned something about, you know, can we pull things up in the moment for the agent? And I would reverse that. I would actually, or go a, high, a level higher and say, did you give the agent a playbook at all in the first place? Like, did you, did you give them a structure of your known processes and say, when you get this kind of call, ask these probing questions and then go in this direction, use these systems, ask some more questions. And then when you run into these exceptions, do this. Did you put that playbook out in front of them? And if you didn't do that, well, now you're just doing guesswork. Now you're just, you know, th there's some imaginary checklist and, you know, did you use empathy or like kind of all of these silly things that aren't getting at the point of solving the customer's thing about is the agent knowledgeable did they help me do the thing i'm actually trying to do did i have to call back later because the agent gave me the wrong information did i put on hold that i get transferred those are the things that we're trying to solve and that's real-time performance support with a known process it's not guesswork of maybe based on your conversation you should be doing this right now like that to me just feels a little bit silly so let's talk about the future a little bit we talked a little bit about ai talked a little bit about um, how agents can potentially leverage it um, on the back end. Obviously, the things that can be potentially done to self-service, so never get into that human connection. But let's talk about procedure flow and your future. What is your vision for the future of knowledge management? How does that actually apply to the vision that procedure flow has for what you're trying to go towards into the future? Yeah, so the future, like based on what we know about procedure flow, the visualization of knowledge, and then the crowdsourcing or the collaboration and ownership of that knowledge at a, at a user level. What we've discovered is that there really isn't a lot of software that's helping to operationalize the decisions that are being made at a higher level. And then also that there's not a lot of ability to feed back from the operations to the people making the decisions. So there's a, a feedback loop there that needs to happen. And, and it's really about communication. And so if you were trying to fix a business challenge, what would you do in a Lean Six Sigma context? You'd pull together all the people involved with that process and the decision makers and the leaders and the money people and all that. You'd put a brown piece of paper on the wall, kind of, you know, a half a mile long. 
you'd pull out your sticky notes and you'd start trying to figure out what the process was and does everybody agree on this? And then, so you'd have a, a current state and then you'd start thinking about how do we optimize this and create a future state? And so if, you know, if you've been part of those meetings, what happens after the meeting? They roll up the brown leaf paper, somebody makes a visio diagram, they stick it in a folder in a drawer somewhere, it gathers dust and that's the end of it, right? And so the ability to visualize your information in a logical way, colorful way, something that is consumable, easy to understand, to operationalize it, that people actually use it to do their job, and then the crowdsourcing to feed back on that and help the decision makers come into it, to say nothing of the reporting information you get where you're going, you know, turn by turn through the decisions that they're making and how that helps with continuous improvement. That is the heartbeat of the company, where the human decisions are being made about, you know, what what are we as a company? What are we about? What did the founders start? What, what was the secret sauce? What's our culture? What's our vibe? How do we enshrine that as we grow and get more complex and hire more people and they don't necessarily know all the original story? Can we have this central heartbeat place where we understand our processes and keep getting better as an organization as we grow? And so our vision is really to be the knowledge graph, the collaborative knowledge graph for the organization where the decisions that are being made are being done in, in union between the decision makers and the users that are operationalizing those processes. And we don't think Visio is going to get there. We don't think a lot of these um, diagramming softwares are going to get there. And we don't think text-based, knowledge-based, knowledge management, they, they, they fundamentally don't understand that a wall of text, nobody wants to read a book. Uh, and so it has to be something that's more consumable. So we're going to find that space, that niche, and then become that central heartbeat. So when we talked about AI, right, we talked about a little bit of the back end, a little bit about, um, as we said, the self-service side, but let's talk about that middle section, right? What do you see is the near term and what we'll call, not future, future, we don't have a crystal ball, but what we could see things going towards with AI, um, how do you see those frontline employees being impacted by AI? And then how does that actually change the dynamic of the work in of itself? Does it lose that human connection? Does it improve that human connection? What are you seeing and what are you thinking that's happening in that space? It's a good question. Um, honestly, I think if you look 10, 20 years out, I think a lot of things will look the same and, and I don't want to be sort of a, a dinosaur. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to be diluted. I, I'm just speaking practically about me as a consumer, when I need things, how I need things and how I interact with the companies, uh, when there's challenges or problems and how quickly I want things solved or how accurately I want them solved. And I'll take my business somewhere else if it's not working with them or that kind of stuff. Um, I do see that, you know, there, there is this human level intelligence, what they call AGI or artificial general intelligence, which, which we have not achieved yet, where the machine is able to validate its answers. It can check them. It can, you know, it, it's not just spitting out something that it regurgitated from other things, that it fully understands what it's doing. Um, we're not there yet. And so I think there are some big challenges to solve in that space. Where I do think that AI plays out really well, again, is on, the, on either side where there are simple things that can be 
done via self-service and should be done via self-service. And then on the back end, there's things that will assist humans. Like if you look at marketing, if you look at sales, if you look at places where people are using ChatGPT, uh, my wife used ChatGPT. She's a dietitian and she helps people with meal planning and, and uh, eating on a budget. And she, so she just released a huge 40-page summer meal plan. Guess what she used to make it? <laughs> ChatGPT, right? Um, and so it's like, she knows a lot about food and nutrition and how to help people and how to structure things. And she's using it to make her more efficient and to help her. You know what I mean? And so it's it's basically like, where are these tools? I think note summary, I think um, writing emails and chats that you double check. I think, you know, all, anything where you can have it do it and then you double check it or modify it. Those are just going to be great opportunities that are just going to continue to grow and unfold that make it's kind of like you're supercharging or you're making a, a hero out of the human in terms of their, their tools. It's like a, going from a hammer to a nail gun, you know, for roofers, right? It's a, it's a big deal, but ultimately the roofers up there making decisions and, 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 and uh, controlling the show. Yeah. I think one of the things that really stands out about AI, and I think you alluded to the concept of there's these, starting of tasks that take up time and that you really need for now a human to go in and we'll call verify or massage or modify the kind of templates that was created of something, right? Whether it's the notes or the bullet points of something or even the starting of some content, which I think is important, right? In in a lot of different industries in the contact center space, it could be a variety of stuff, everything from transcription to uh, being able to have the, the the briefs or the takeaways of certain things, the next steps, things of that nature. Um, but in the call, right, when you go back to that middle piece where you really play um, and you say that's where, you know, the visual aspect of things are really important for learning and also for adoption, right? No one just wants to sit there and read the text. Um, there's also going to be that dynamic where it's not obviously just the agent or representative or collector listening to that call and then realizing whether or not it was a good call outcome wise, whether it was something that was a challenge in real time, whether or not what you said was not only successful, but should we use it later on and spread that across our whole base? Is it something that we thought was good and it actually isn't good and we should probably stop doing it? And you can start going down the path of all kinds of things, whether it's verbal cues, uh, after work notifications for coaching, whether it's in the call helping you and so on and so forth. So for the AI side of it, let's still talk about the human part of it. I still believe you're right. For now, there's absolutely not only a need for a human, but a lot of us are going to have these in interactions that require that human connection, that human touch. So you had mentioned it's not just what happens during that call, but happens before and after that call. What can you tell me about what AI or not, whether it's uh, your business or otherwise, that is helping the agents, representatives, collectors be more successful because of things that are happening completely outside of that call, whether that's training, onboarding, continuous improvement. What is important in that area, if anything? Well, I mean, you mentioned a lot of things in there. Um, if you want to talk about what happens before the agents get on the phone in terms of onboarding, is that something you want to talk with that for a second? Yeah, let's focus on that one first. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of shift that's happening there where we talked about lecture style and you're trying to you're essentially in a memorization model and then you whether it's an LMS or a person standing in front of a classroom or a facilitator 
And there's sort of like a multiple choice test or whatever to, to see, did they retain what I told them to memorize? That model's broken. Uh, there's a guy, Jeff Toyster, that I really like in the training space and contact center. We did a piece with him on where he talked about scenario-based training. And one thing he said that will always stick with me is if you are changing their paradigm, you're losing. So for instance, when I'm on the phone, I'm sitting at a computer or you know two screens or whatever. I have a headset on. I'm talking to the customer. I'm using systems to do things on behalf of the customer or research information about their account. Uh, and then I have ancillary stuff like Google Maps and whatever else I need to get the job done. And so that that is my world when I'm on the phone. How long does it take you in the training program to get to the point where that's the reality of the trainee? It's usually a long time. It's like, weeks in. Do you know what I mean? And so your paradigm is them listening to somebody talk, trying to memorize things, taking notes like it, that that's the paradigm. And then you paradigm shift on them, throw them on the phone and it's a totally different world. And so scenario based training is, you know, day one, you sit them in front of that simulated environment that they're going to be like on the phone. They're hearing simulated calls. You say, Bill's calling in. Here's what he wants. What are you going to do? And obviously the person has no idea what to do, but through an adult struggle learning style with scenario-based training and with procedure flow on a second screen, you can now say, go do it yourself. On a real scenario, I know you don't know what the systems are. I know you don't know what the process is. I want you to struggle through it on your own. And then when they come out of the, tra the training, that's exactly what their world is. Procedure flow is there to support them. They're getting real calls. They're in, in, in a real system, but they've got through the jitters. They know how to click through the buttons. And so setting up simulation software, uh, simulated calls and having procedure flow is really, to me, that's the future of onboarding, collapsing those weeks or months of upfront time. And that especially is relevant in the BPO world where you have even less time with them, maybe more turnover, uh, less commitment to the brand. And so you even, you know, you want to uh, concentrate as much subject matter expertise as early as possible. So I think that's an interesting shift and you're seeing actually a lot of simulator companies starting to evolve on the trade show circuit um if you if you travel the booths and stuff so that means procedure flow works in conjunction with the simulation right so it has to work in tandem and so when you go in are people already aware of the whole dynamic of their training onboarding journey or do you have to go in and consult them on here's the collection of things you have to do together to help you achieve X or Y? There, it, because it's new, I think, you know, um, that paradigm of shifting away from lecture style to scenario-based training, there, there's some teaching you have to do with people, you know? And so a big part of that is what we do anyway, which is let's do the 80-20. What 20% of your processes are going to have the 80% impact? And let's get a visual map of that. And so that prepares you to, to get ready for that journey. And then the second piece of it is how am I going to modify my training class in the way that I normally have it structured? Most people are, they're redoing their training class structure every two years, if not every year. And so it's like they have a curriculum, they have an agenda, and we do this topic on this date. And so there's a lot of like grinding in there to say, oh, we used to teach this topic and it took us half a day. But really, we could teach that through a scenario. What's, what two or three scenarios would teach them that topic while they're actually 
doing a call. And so there, that's the grinding part where you're going, you're getting off of the topic lecture style and you're going, how could I do that, get the same thing accomplished, but do it through them experiencing a call? A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. At Nobel Biz, we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients. As a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry, Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost per minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com. So let's talk a little bit about ROI, right? When anytime we're adopting technology or new processes, we always say there's a cost to us, both in time and human capital to get that implemented, but also potentially if there's software licensing or usage model or whatever it may, a consumption model, whatever it may be. When you have people adopting from whatever they were doing today in knowledge management, which just means bare bones or just too much information or they weren't really leveraging it properly or at all to let's what you what we'll call your perfect client, the one that adopted everything that made sense for their business and now they're off to the races. What are they measuring that in the end they say, not only was this a value and we want to keep it and we love it, but is there anything different that they started to measure and measure differently or just those KPIs they were measuring from day one, they just see an uptick in X, Y, or Z? And what are those kind of uplifts that you see? Yeah, that's a good question. Really, there's, for me, there's there's a ton, there's a ton of KPIs that get measured in contact center space. I kind of roll them up into four major buckets, and so that that would be the classroom time or the official time that they're not productive on the phone, where they're just being taught by other people. There's the nesting period where they're kind of taking calls, but they have heavy support. There's people walking the floor, or you know, almost one to one support in the sense of like they can get they can raise their hand or raise a flag. So that's a period of time that has a cost. And then there's quality. So that has many different ways of attaching dollar signs to it. You can get fined for not being in compliance. Um, you can have a customer leave you. you get, there's all kinds of ways to you know, truck rolls for telecoms where you don't need to, et cetera. Um, and then there's the time, the speed, the average handle time, or the total time that it takes for the agent to get to the next call. So um, average handle time is really a big focus for most places because if you can shave 10 seconds off of average handle time for everybody, that could be like a full-time person, right? And so any amount of money, time you can shave off equals directly money. So those four buckets of things, um, when people try to make improvements, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. So you may shorten the training, but then it'll impact quality and speed. Or maybe you give them more time in training and you get better quality and speed, but they've spent more time and they're less, they're not productive. So you're kind of playing whack-a-mole. Procedure flow cuts across all four of them uh, and in pretty dramatic ways. So our goal, when I'm at a trade show, people say, what do you do? I work for procedure flow. We cut onboarding time by 50 to 90%. Onboarding meaning time it takes them to have 
average handle time and quality that is comparable to your best agents. And so that's a pretty dramatic statement. They usually then ask how you do it. But you know what we mean by that is in the training classroom, we think 50% of the time spent in there is ensuring that they know how to, we can't train you on all the scenarios and exceptions. So we're going to get you as far as we can, you know, and then sort of hope for the best. And, and so we do some practice stuff in there. We can eliminate a lot of that practice time, a lot of that time that's spent ensuring that, you know, that, that the training was successful. So that's some 50%. If you want to go past 50%, you have to redesign the lecture styles we talked about. And so you can, we have customers that for say a back office use case where they don't have the phone jitters, like it's an hour or two of orientation on systems and procedure flow. And they're doing live work before lunchtime on their first day. Um, we have places where they, they have surges on a particular day of the year um, and they redeploy internal employees and onto the phone. They give them one hour orientation of procedure flow and they're taking perfect calls like same day for that one day surge for that organization. And so we know it can be very dramatic if you're willing to adopt more of a scenario-based training um, situation. And then obviously the nesting is very similar. You need less help because you know what you're doing. Um, health insurance, we looked at special drug authorization where people with two years experience cut their, um, you know, putting them on hold and going inside and asking for help. So like escalations and all of that stuff is included in there. And so two years experience. Now they feel confident with procedure flow because it's so black and white. It's so logical. Uh, they don't have to go inside and ask for help anymore. Um, and then for quality, you know, obviously improvements in quality, giving the right answer the first time, first call resolution and, and savings and average handle time, which a lot of times is where we build our business case is, um, you know, money back in pocket that's directly measurable. So earlier today, we were talking about the pandemic, right? And a lot of the disruption that it caused and a lot of the work from home environment. So let's kind of dive a little deeper on that topic from the perspective of let's first talk about the business. How did your business specifically get affected and what did you do differently, if anything, during that time frame to really align with that change that the pandemic was causing? Well, we got to meet some of our customers face to face. That was fun. Uh, everybody went on camera. Uh, you know, it used to be like you had like the polycom system and uh, for for like meetings and like you'd never see anybody. So we like it was really cool to just like meet everybody, everybody turn the cameras on. And so that that was fun. Our customers really benefited immediately as soon as they had their cloud telephony kind of figured out where people could work from home and all the safety stuff that they had to go through from, is it safe for them to work from home? The, the very next thing was, how do we support them, you know, from a knowledge perspective for training, for all, all of that. And so we had a number of customers contact us and, and just tell us that Procedureville was invaluable for that transition because it just made it totally seamless, which makes sense. Um, it helped us from a business perspective. We went from, you know, the, the organization, when everybody's in the office and they've got their normal training set up, they think they have certain priorities. They think everything's fine. We we don't think it's fine. We think there's a lot of opportunity there. When they went home, uh, there's a Warren Buffett quote, I think, that says, you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. <laughs> and so when they went home, you saw that the training program, people didn't want to sit on a Zoom for like four weeks at eight hours a day and listen to somebody talk on Zoom, right? So there's a lot of scrambling, like, 
maybe the training wasn't all that we thought it was. And how do we make this better and more engaging and et cetera? So we became a very high priority, almost like a number two priority in terms of training, support, and then you have the shoulder tapping. So with existing agents on the floor, if you're in a call center, you can poke your neighbor, you can, re- you can just yell at somebody a couple, you know, on mute, you can yell at somebody a couple hours down, try to get an answer. You can't do that from home. So what does that turn into? It turns into holds, it turns into transfers, it turns into make, saying the wrong thing, or like Teams and Slack. And so people, you imagine somebody's brand new, they're just asking questions in Slack like all the time. And then like people want to be helpful. So like imagine 30, 40 people come off of the productivity that they're on and they're going to help this person out. You just distracted like 40 people. Do you know what I mean? And so uh, that's not, that's not a scalable model and it's very uh, unproductive. And so procedure flow benefited um, from the focus on really these challenges that were just hidden when you had everybody clumped together in, in the center. Uh, and now it's exposed. And so what do you, you know, what do you do with that? So, so yeah, um, customers loved it. It helped us as a business because it went higher in the priority scale. Um, and then in the ongoing, now you have a, a an ongoing conversation about, are we going to continue to work from home? Are we going to do hybrid? Either way, whether it's hybrid or working from home, you need to be able to support people when they're working inside of their house and in isolation. And so procedure flows part of that story. So when it comes to procedure flows, value proposition, would you say that it's equally as important, useful, and adopted in a pure brick and mortar scenario versus a hybrid and a pure work from home? Uh, Or do you see that there's faster time to value or importance in the hybrid and the work from home versus the pure brick and mortar? I would say it's the same. Like the, the, we were, we had a successful business before the pandemic and our customers loved it. They were in person in the office. And so it's really the same, just that, you know, knowledge management has taken a new priority in people's, in organizations' minds in terms of they think about it more, they talk about it more, um, they spend on it more, you know, so they're, it's, it's a heightened priority now, which is, which is great. It should have been all along. And then like we talked about previously, there's just, you can hide certain things um, when you're in person in the bricks and mortar that just get exposed when you go digital. And I, I think probably I mentioned the two, but lecture style is really challenging over Zoom. Uh, people don't even want to turn their cameras on. You don't know if they're playing iPhone games while you're talking or anything. And so you really have to rethink and restructure that to make it more engaging. And then uh, that second piece of shoulder tapping goes away. And so what does that, where water, you know, follows the path of least resistance. When, a, when an agent needs help, where do they go? You should be tracking that. You know what I mean? Um, who are they bothering? How many people are they bothering? How can I trap that and help them? And so that, that's a, as everything has gone remote, that's a, a new thing to measure and monitor um, because the outcomes are bad. It's on hold, it's transfers, and it's giving the wrong information um, or, or long average handle time because you, you've, you've sort of, you don't know what you're doing, right? And so the, all, all those outcomes are bad for customer satisfaction. So when we talk about the training part, we also know that it's not only the lack of knowing what to train in the remote model, because maybe what you were doing in house, you're sitting physically in person, the lecture model, as you had mentioned, um, there were people that worked well 
in brick and mortar, but could translate that into the remote, right? And when everyone was forced remote, there were certain people that realized the things they were doing weren't working anymore. And then now you look at systems and solutions where um, you see most people don't have a group of people dedicated to implement the next solution in their business, right? They usually are using a lot of staff that's already completely entrenched in running the business, right? So now they're splitting their time in between trying to adopt this new thing, whatever it is, a new technology, a new process or whatever it may be. And then they're also trying to run the business at the same exact time. And they're trying to fight between what is important now, the fire that's in front of me or the fire that may be coming down the line because I haven't implemented this tool or whatever it may be. So when we look at that adoption curve that happens with people, there is the fighting of change, right? There's certain groups that you know aren't going to adopt change because change isn't always easy. What is it that procedure flow does, if anything, differently than during the pandemic or post-pandemic that allows you to say, okay, how do I get once it's signed, right? I've already sold it. The the decision makers have already said, we're going to do this. How do you get the teams in the trenches, on the front lines to actually adopt this stuff and actually go, okay. I'm not going to drag my feet. I'm going to actually be either excited or I'm going to stand there's an importance to this. And it's not going to be so disruptive to my day that all of a sudden now I'm sitting here dragging and fighting it. What have you seen or have done to do that? I think one key observation there is I've actually seen, we, we maybe with the training, um, because Nobody likes to be changed. People like change, but they don't like being changed, right? And so with with the training group, if you've already got everything on the go and you kind of got your curriculum and your agenda set, and it's like, do I really want to try to re-engineer this, right? And who is this procedure flow and all of that? So that can be that can be challenging. Well, I think one of the benefits of the pandemic, the shift to moving home, was there's a hunger there. Like we're seeing more and more with trainers that they're they're actually quite hungry to innovate, to try new things. Um, and and to try to make training more engaging. And so we've seen a tremendous amount of cooperation uh, and, and really ownership of the training group to say, we want to bring this change about. We want to make the training more fun, more engaging, more effective. And so there, it's day one stuff, right? Like we talked about scenario-based training, but it is putting stuff in place from day one that's going to create a faster and more engaging experience for the new people coming in and the challenge of trying to do that remotely where where we're organizations. Some are still going back in person either just for the training or uh, entirely back in person. So that's that still exists. But the for those that have chosen remote, especially for training, um, we just see uh, an incredible amount of ownership and willingness to adopt change and innovation. Awesome. So I think... Right now, we've had a great conversation about the business, about training, about being able to have the style of learning, how to be more visual versus just text. And obviously, that sweet spot in the middle of the human connection, the human interaction versus that where maybe AI plays in self-service or maybe as helping the agent or representative collector, so on and so forth at the end in tasks and things of that nature. Let's kind of skip to a little bit more personal, a little bit about you from what do you do outside of work? I mean, I can't imagine you only work. So you got hobbies, activities. What do you do to relax or disconnect and have that work-life balance? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so I'm one of part of the co-founding team of Procedure Flow. So 
uh, it's been just sort of an honor and pleasure to be part of this. It is a startup. Uh, we're growing and it is, there's all kinds of challenges, right? And I travel a lot. Before the pandemic, I was probably traveling once a month for trade shows and things. And so it was, it was getting a little crazy. So the pandemic was kind of actually a really nice uh, opportunity to be home. I have, um, I'm married and I have seven kids. So we had our last child during the pandemic. And so that was, it all kind of timed well. Like it just, we're able to not travel, stay home, have a baby uh, and just enjoy that period. My, my brother is a farmer. Uh, we grew up on 45 acres and my grandpa was a potato farmer from being a kid. And so he just, he just always had gardens on the go. And then my dad had like chickens and goats and stuff. So it was just sort of there around me as a kid. And so my brother during the pandemic, he really turned on the jets and we set up like hoop houses, electric fences, uh, really got into hobby farming. And I started doing the animal side of it. So doing chickens and, and things like that. So um, I think the pandemic was just sort of an interesting time to hit a reset button and say, you know, what other things can I do? And just getting outside, being in nature, uh, you wake up in the morning and the dew is just kind of sitting on the grass and you can hear the chickens just sort of clucking away, uh, happy eating bugs and grass and, uh, and just enjoying that. And then just seeing the kids run around and, and have a blast. And, uh, we're right on a lake there and stuff so they can go swimming. And so I, I think that all keeps me balanced, uh, from, uh, work stress to very quickly, you know, within 20 minutes I can drive home and it's like another world that, and it's, and it is the most important thing to me, you know, business will come and go, you know, all this stuff will change all the time, but, um, that, that stuff matters. And so, um, probably is what keeps me level. Well, it's been a great conversation. I know there's going to be people that are going to say, I want to get a hold of you. I want to get a hold of your business. How best do they go about doing that? The best way is probably to go to procedureflow.com. Um, there's a nice little drift bot that pops up there and we have people live there that want to chat and just answer specific questions that can pr pretty quickly lead into uh, a scheduled conversation. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Twitter, et cetera. And so, you know, if somebody wanted to just check, check me out, Micah Peterson, uh, and I would encourage you to follow our procedure flow on LinkedIn as well, because they post a lot of really interesting topical stuff, events that we're going to be at, uh, et cetera. We have a really fun marketing team. Um, so those are probably, and procedureflow.com is our website. And of course, there's going to be a lot of information there uh, about the industry you're in or um, just watching videos the YouTube channel as well. So lots, lots of ways to uh, figure out, find out more about procedure flow. And ultimately, you know, if you just want to reach out and have a conversation, I'd love to do that too. That's awesome. So Micah, thanks so much for joining us. Obviously, hopefully everybody felt this was insightful. Uh, whether you have a, a robust knowledge management solution today or a system or process, or you're looking at potentially replacing or upgrading, obviously you hopefully you've gotten some good information. You can connect with Micah, you can look at procedure flow. So that's another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Thanks so much for joining. Obviously, if you have any recommendations, likes for what we're doing, let us know. And we appreciate you listening. Tune in next time. Thank you for joining me in this episode. If you're loving the content, make sure to hit that subscribe button on your YouTube channel for exclusive clips, webinars, workshops, and bonus materials. And if you're an Apple iTunes listener, we greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review to help spread the word.
On our YouTube page, you can also leave us feedback, comments, and suggest future guests that you'd like to hear from. For even more valuable insights and information on the call center world, visit nobelbiz.com and access our on-demand webinars. I'm Christian Montez, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of First Contact Podcast. Stay with us for the next exciting chapter.